All right, welcome to Coffee and Chatter today, Sands the Coffee. We'll just have the chatter. Today I want to discuss a, what I consider to be a very important topic, especially if you want to have any real understanding about what the heck is going on today. Uh, and I call this Federalism, Federalists, and Anti-Federalists. So we're going to start right away and talk about those three subjects. Again, Federalism. Federalists and anti-federalists. Let's first look at a definition. Okay, federalism is a type of government in which the power is divided between the national government and other governmental units, in our case the states. It contrasts with a unitary government in which a central authority holds the power and a confederation in which states, for example, are clearly dominant, as was our first attempt at government. This info can be found at www.constitutionfacts.com. Okay, so there you have it, federalism. Great idea, right? Except it hasn't worked out like those of our founders who favored it thought it would. Maybe it did. I don't know. So, the anti-federalists, of whom I count myself as one, were opposed to the scrapping of the Articles of Confederation, our first Constitution, basically, and the adopting of the new Constitution, especially when they saw what the Constitutional Convention had yielded in place of the Articles of Confederation. In fact, the Convention of 1787 in Philadelphia was not called to write a new Constitution, it was called to amend the Articles of Confederation to make them more workable. In the end, the anti-federalists were opposed to the new Constitution as it was written, and only by the promise to return and include a Bill of Rights at a later date were any of them appeased. So after the convention, uh, the newly proposed Constitution hit the streets, was submitted to the individual states for ratification and thus erupted the brouhaha that produced for us some interesting reading, the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which I have just recently begun to read, the Anti-Federalist Papers, and I find you know so much in common with what they were writing. So these writings represent the arguments for and against the ratification of the new Constitution and the move from a confederation of states to federalism. It seems today we ha often hear references to federalism, which again is not really a bad idea as it was defined in our Constitution, but as the anti-federalists predicted, it didn't work as expected. That's actually an understatement, and I'm prepared to say it has failed miserably. Not the idea, but the execution of it. So, it's possible that if our Constitution was followed to the letter as it's written, we might have been all right. But the anti-federalists must have understood the nature of mankind a lot better than the federalists and pretty much called out what would transpire. In fact, it's entirely possible that things turned out worse than even they imagined. I would say the two concepts that have been the most abused and brought us to a place where our government's tentacles reach into every aspect of our lives and the life of the nation 
have created $20 trillion and I'm sorry, $30 trillion of debt and rising, national debt, and over $100 trillion of unfunded liabilities represented by Social Security promises and Medicare promises. And those two concepts are the Welfare Clause and the Commerce Clause. That, that's how they're referenced. All right, let's take a look at uh, the Welfare Clause right now. All right, this is what's known as the Welfare Clause, and it can be found in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the Constitution. The Congress shall have power to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. So that's what's called the Welfare Clause. Now, the lack of specificity of that wording, especially the use of the word general, has caused the government to use the term general welfare as the rationale to authorize myriad powers to do things that it could find rationalization for nowhere else in the Constitution and that I believe the founders never envisioned. All right, let's look at the Commerce Clause now. All right, the first slide on the Commerce Clause, which can be found in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 of the Constitution. The Congress shall have power to regulate commerce among the several states. I'd like to include a couple quotes here. In its original meaning, the clause functioned primarily as a constraint upon state interference in interstate commerce. Second slide on the Commerce Clause, and this information can be found at the Heritage Foundation. Commerce, commerce everywhere. Over the course of the last decades, the Commerce Clause has been used as a primary source for the regulatory expansion of the national government. This reading of the clause has been used in granting virtually unlimited regulatory power over the economy to the federal government. And finally, no clause in the 1787 Constitution has been more disputed and it has generated more court cases than any other. There you have the Commerce Clause. I would say that the abuse of this clause has pretty much contributed to most of the massive overreach we now see from our federal government. And that's pretty much, there it is, federalism. What's so bad about it, right? So on a final note now, uh, I was reading some, some essays by Dr. Walter Williams the other day. I came upon an essay he had written in January 2014 entitled Parting Company. His conclusion was that we as a nation had become so divided that the only possible solution was peaceful separation. My opinion is that the vision that we see has, has pretty much come about due to the way the Constitution has been ignored. And while we do have one faction that at least attempts to give the appearance of wanting to live within the guidelines of the Constitution, the other faction is just, you know, in word only. They, they don't live by the Constitution at all. My observation on uh, Dr. Williams' comments 
are that it is instructive to note that the last time separation was tried, it ultimately led to violence. Over one million Americans, civilians and military, were maimed or killed, accompanied by millions of dollars of destruction, almost all in the southern states, that impoverished millions for years, and real recovery was a long time in coming. Additionally, we now see today ne'er-do-wells trying to resuscitate the racism that grew out of that conflict and its aftermath, what has taken us years to recover from, and it's all now being thrown to the wind. In another essay Dr. Williams authored earlier in April 2009, also entitled Parting Company, he made reference to a remark by then-Texas Governor Rick Perry that Texans might ultimately become so disgusted with Washington's gross violations of the Constitution that they would want to secede from the Union. Perry's remarks were branded by know-nothings as treasonous. Let's look at another slide real quick. The fact is that almost every state that signed onto ratification of the new Constitution in 1788 did so with the caveat in writing along the lines of the following. The powers of government may be resumed by the people whensoever it shall become necessary to their happiness. Remember, this was a voluntary union. If something went awry, each of these states pretty much said, okay, we'll join up, but if you know this or that starts to happen, we're out of here. All right, so to the ignorant amongst us, especially our ignorant elective officials, that what I just, we looked at represent the claiming of the right of secession, which almost every state included in their document, their ratification documents, and the retention of sovereignty that both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution afford the individual states. In conclusion, all I can say is God save the Republic because I don't see anything else that seems possible to avoid where we are heading. All right, thanks for listening today.